I had a magic eight ball when I was a kid, and I wouldn't say that I relied on it in any serious way, but when my kid brain was trying to process some big emotions or sort through a sticky situation, I often pulled it out and asked it questions. Most of the time, the mysterious blue text that would emerge from the dark depths of the ball would give me some sort of definitive answer. Without a doubt, signs point to yes. Don't count on it. My reply is no. But there was another set of answers that just really left me hanging. Now, the one that sticks out in my mind is reply hazy, try again. All things considered, reply hazy, try again was probably the most accurate of Magic 8-Ball answers. You can ask the ball a question, you can shake it vigorously and beg for the answer you're hoping for, but in truth, the reply is always hazy. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that gives you a behind-the-scenes look at how small business owners take decisive action to build stronger businesses. So yeah, the future is hazy. It's unknowable. And that makes taking decisive action to build a stronger business much more challenging. But we have a choice. We can either fight it and metaphorically try to shake that damn ball until we have a complete picture of what the future is going to be, or... We can make decisions based on the information we have, a solid understanding of our goals, and an acceptance of the uncertainty of it all. Waiting until you have all the answers you need or want is a great way to keep spinning your wheels, while embracing uncertainty might be risky, and it can definitely be scary, but it's the only way we move forward. This month, we looked at three different stories of embracing uncertainty. Lou Blazer told us how a big life change allowed her to look at her business in a new way and see how she could finally build the business she'd been dreaming about for years. Sarah Avenir shared how she leads herself and her team through uncertainty. And Cher Hale told us about getting clearer and clearer on her vision for life and business and the big moves it required of her. We're rounding out this conversation about embracing uncertainty today by hearing from four more small business owners. But first, I wanted to let you know that this special episode of What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Mighty Networks is the easiest way to bring your community, courses, and membership all together in one place, all under your brand. Mighty Networks is what powers the What Works Network and lets us create an exceptional online community experience for small business owners without the crap that comes from hitching a community to another social network's wagon. With the Mighty Network, you can support your customers, share your knowledge, organize online events, connect members, and work toward a common goal. And you can get paid for it right on the same platform too. Start building your Mighty Network today by going to MightyNetworks.com. Today, we're featuring stories from four small business owners, Podge Thomas, Melissa Dinwiddie, Kat Liu, and Amy Fearman. Each entrepreneur embraced uncertainty in a way that allowed them to move forward despite not having all the answers or a guarantee of what the future would hold. My guess is that you'll hear a version of a situation or question you're wrestling with right now in at least one of these stories. First up, let's hear from Podge Thomas. Podge is the founder of Podge Coaches, a coaching practice for working women. Podge specializes in emerging executives, the women who want to make a leap into executive leadership, but bump up against the structural and cultural challenges that face women who want to advance their careers to the highest levels. But this wasn't always the work Podge was doing. Listen in to hear how her entrepreneurial path through uncertainty helped her find alignment with a new calling. 
After years and years working for other businesses and organizations and never feeling fully satisfied, feeling like I was always following someone else's ideal of a good life, in 2017, I left my J-O-B and started working for myself as a consultant and coach for women-owned businesses. At the time, this decision was more about not working in a traditional setting than it was about building a business based on my strengths and interests. And so my first few pitches were project-based where I was finding solutions to business problems and then implementing those solutions. It was a lot of financial projections, marketing plans, employee manuals, et cetera, et cetera. The coaching was almost an afterthought, very secondary to my consulting services and mostly modeled off of my previous roles as a manager and a mentor. In that first year, it was hard for me to see that my value was in coaching. I mean, I wasn't a certified coach, and so I assumed I didn't have any business making this my primary offer, so I kept going with the consulting work, adding projects and contracts, as well as stress and depletion. I was still stuck in that mindset of what I was supposed to do, rather than what I wanted to do. And there were early signs that something was off. I found myself procrastinating on these big projects, putting them off until the last minute, This freelancing thing was just starting to feel like my old job. I was so frustrated. But meanwhile, I was taking on more and more coaching clients. And at some point into my second year of business, a couple of career coaching opportunities came my way and I gladly took them on. This was when it became clearer that coaching came very naturally to me and was obviously an extension of my years as a supervisor. I found that I had a gift for digging into client challenges, identifying root causes, and then helping them uncover a path forward. Over time, I got better at coaching, and I found that my work with career clients were the most rewarding. The focus of working with women in their careers was on, was on uncovering these long-held assumptions about the parameters for women at work. Together, we questioned those rules, And with the small number of career coaching clients I had, we were rewriting their positions in their offices. Rather than waiting for a promotion, I was coaching my clients to ask for one on their terms. Rather than accepting how they were being supervised, I coached my clients on how to teach their supervisors to mentor them. Instead of taking on more and more work, I coached my clients on how to set and maintain boundaries. It was just a handful of women, but their lives were really changing for the better. So here was my moment of risk and uncertainty. I was at a clear intersection between coaching and consulting businesses and coaching career women. My business clients were paying the bills, but my career clients weren't. However, it was now undeniable that one was exciting, nourishing and rewarding, while the other one was just exhausting and stressful and I could no longer ignore it. I knew I had to go all in and invest in growing my career coaching offer. This meant making changes, and in the beginning, I just wasn't sure what those changes should be. I didn't want to be impulsive, so I sat for a few weeks, and I talked it over with colleagues, and the feedback that I got was to embrace this pivot, really lean into it, and go for it. So there were three areas that I identified to focus on in order to make this shift. The first was to let go of my social media followings, which was primarily on Instagram and Facebook. These platforms hadn't been working for my business anyway, so it didn't feel like a big sacrifice. And ultimately, it reduced my stress 
and increased my attention span in every other area of my life. It was great. The second was to ask for help, and this was huge for me. But ultimately, I know in my heart that we don't achieve great things in this life without support along the way. I got help from other coaches, from friends, and from people I barely knew. Getting comfortable with feedback and input has been one of the greatest gifts I've given myself this year. Lastly, I started to say no to new business clients. This meant that I had to leave money on the table and to be fully conscious in doing so. It was so hard. And as a small business owner, I worry about meeting my revenue goals, but I ultimately believed it was necessary. If nothing else, I needed that time to build out all the pieces of my business that would support this new client niche. I'm now several months into this decision and on the brink of launching a mastermind group for emerging executives. Women who want to make that leap are often held back because of those archaic rules still in place for women at work. I can't wait to meet this new cohort of women. And my hope and dream is for this to build into a community that supports 1,000 women to become executive leaders. A lot of small business owners dream of making a change in how they work or who they work with, but they put it off until they feel more certain about how it's all going to turn out. Podge's story is such a great illustration of how you can make a powerful change in your business without knowing exactly what's going to happen next. Next, we'll hear from Melissa Dinwiddie. Melissa is the founder of Creative Sandbox Solutions, a consultancy using play-based methods and live-drawn graphics to take the board out of the virtual boardroom. Like many, Melissa was faced with uncertainty after lockdowns forced in-person events and meetings into the virtual environment. Listen in to find out how Melissa took the uncertainty of the situation as an opportunity to try something new, and then how she took the uncertainty of her initial tests as an opportunity to hone her craft. Before the pandemic, I did everything in person. I facilitated team development and leadership development and innovation and strategy sessions, things like that. And I also visually captured all kinds of sessions on really big pieces of paper, like four foot by eight foot size sheets of paper. I've worked with companies like Uber and Intuit and Stanford Children's Hospital, as well as a lot of local nonprofits. Now, all of my workshop facilitation and graphic recording are virtual and remote, But the big shift for me came when I took a leap into uncertainty by deciding to try offering a public workshop to help people lead non-boring virtual meetings on Zoom. So here's what happened. After the quarantine started back in March, I noticed that some of my colleagues in the facilitation space were jumping into fill a need by offering courses and workshops to help people lead better Zoom meetings. And I thought, I could do that because I've been running online gatherings since 2010. And since the pandemic, I've kind of gone into turbo mode, researching and collecting and curating best practices for facilitating virtual meetings that I could pass along to people. So with a great deal of anxiety, I decided to see if I could get enough interest to run a workshop. Now, I would be lying if I said that imposter complex didn't rear its ugly head, because it always does, especially whenever there's a comparison trap lying around. And since there were colleagues of mine who had already made similar offers, there was a mighty big comparison trap there. 
But I didn't let that stop me. I kept reminding myself that I had something of value to share. Now, LinkedIn is my primary marketing platform. And the first thing I did was I published a post asking, what's your single biggest challenge when it comes to leading virtual meetings? And I got a ton of comments and that gave me a lot of great feedback. And then I asked in another post what people were most interested in learning from me. And again, I got great feedback from that. And I discovered that my audience was mostly interested in learning activities and facilitation tips, not tech. So that's what I focused on creating for them. And I also very intentionally positioned my workshop as a beta. And I let people know that it was going to be experimental and improvisational and not polished and perfect. But no matter how clear you try to make your message, you don't always attract the right audience. And in the two beta sessions that I've run so far, each time I've had somebody who's been really dissatisfied. And the first survey response that I got from the first workshop was pretty harsh. And it was really hard to take. And I have to say, I I actually questioned whether I should quit my business entirely. I had a very dark night of the soul. But thankfully, right after that, positive reviews started rolling in. And someone even wrote an article on the What Works Network about how transformative my workshop was for her. And that really helped. And that was the first beta, which I knew from the get-go I was going to be redesigning from the ground up based on participant feedback. And the second beta was a big improvement. And I think the third iteration, which I'm planning on running in August, will be the canon. But the real juice is what happened from taking that leap into uncertainty. Not only did I make some much needed revenue for my business, which was great, of course, but I also established a new offer that I can keep putting out there and I can keep creating variations on that workshop. And I also created a new level of visibility for myself as an expert. And because of that, a couple of people have hired me for one-on-one coaching or consulting sessions. And I've gotten some great leads for virtual facilitation corporate gigs. And I've landed some lucrative work that I never would have gotten had I not been promoting these non-boring virtual meetings workshops. And offering the non-boring virtual meetings workshops gave me the courage and the confidence to create other somewhat related offers like my virtual creative sandbox retreats, which I have coming up this Saturday, July 18th. And again, another one on August 1st. So lots of good stuff from embracing uncertainty. And I would love to tell you that this experience has eliminated my fear and resistance to uncertainty, but that would be a lie. However, It is really great to have this experience under my belt to point to as proof that really good things can happen as a result of taking that leap. So happy leaping. Melissa took the leap into uncertainty and found a new way to serve clients as well as make her mark on an emerging industry. Melissa's story reminds me that while uncertainty can feel really lonely, like you're the only one that's dealing with the confusion of not knowing, uncertainty is collective. No one knows what's next, and all of us are doing the best with the information we have. 
Next, let's hear from Cozy Cow founder Kat Liu. Kat and her husband Chris took the leap into uncertainty when they decided to go all in on the scheduling software they were developing on the side. I was working as a life science management consultant at a Fortune 500 company in New York. The fast-paced work was stimulating, and I enjoyed solving problems for clients. However, I kept on feeling that something was missing. During that time, my husband Chris was working as a developer for a tech startup. He was also building CozyCal as his site hustle project. I began to gain more exposure to topics like entrepreneurship, technology, and lean startup framework. Slowly, I came to realize what my feeling of something missing was. It was a craving for the freedom to be creative and running my own business. After seeing CozyCal gaining a little bit of traction, we started to tinker with the idea of quitting our jobs and move back to Canada to work on CozyCal. However, there were so much uncertainties and risks that come with this decision. I was bombarded with endless questions every day. What would be the opportunity cost of leaving my career? Would I be able to learn the skills to run a software product? If we were to bootstrap CozyCal with our savings, how long would the financial runway be? Would Chris and I be compatible co-founders? What if CozyCal fails? It was not in my nature to take risks, as I had always followed well-laid-out paths in my life. But the desire of wanting to run my own business grew stronger day by day. I wanted to give it a try so badly. Instead of being paralyzed by anxiety of uncertainties, I began to take action. I read any books that I could get my hands on about entrepreneurship, listened to podcast episodes on how to bootstrap a software business, and talked to family and friends about my goal and vision. After educating myself on the subject of entrepreneurship, I had a more clear idea of what I would need to do. While Chris's focus would be on the technical end, my focus would be on everything non-technical. So I used a mind map to map out my areas of development, including marketing, sales, customer support, and design. Within each area, I listed out the topics that I would need to grasp, as well as an estimate timeline. Since we were bootstrapping CozyCal with no external funding, I laid out our personal finance options and calculated how long our savings would sustain us. In 2017, Chris and I took the leap of faith and left New York and returned to Vancouver to work on CozyCal. That was perhaps the riskiest decision I've made so far in my life. But it wasn't a decision that was made in blindness. Do I wish that I could have done something better in retrospect? Sure. Do I regret the risks that I have taken? Nope. Was the journey full of challenges? All the time. It certainly took longer for Cozy Cow to grow to a point where we felt somewhat financially secure. But we have never given up over the last three years. Starting my own business is one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had in my life. Now, with our daughter's arrival, there is a new set of uncertainties and challenges. We still have miles to cover ahead of us, and we're double down to make it work. Lastly, I want to share one of my favorite quotes by Pablo Picasso: "I am always doing that which I cannot do, in order that I may learn how to do it." Cat's story is a good reminder that uncertainty doesn't go away. Even when we make a bold decision and take decisive action, we're only revealing new variables and potential risks. So we can either refuse to engage at all, or we can dig in and embrace it. 
Finally, today, we'll hear from Amy Fearman. Amy is now the founder of Workflow Impact, which helps small business owners develop personal workflows so they can become more efficient and effective. But like Podge, Amy has been making some changes. Before Workflow Impact, Amy ran a wildly successful Amazon fulfillment business, but realized it just wasn't lighting her up anymore. I'll let her tell you the story. In Q4 2018, we're in the middle of a booming retail holiday season. It's happening in my business. It's happening all around me. I was close to generating the coveted $1 million in revenue mark when I hit a wall. I lost the drive to find new products for my online retail business. My mojo was gone. It it vanished. My business went from being something exciting to a job. I had become disenchanted with what I was doing. I really didn't enjoy it anymore. So my best friend posed the question, if you could outsource anything in your business, take it off your plate and get back to doing what you like, what would that be? I spent some time with this question, a lot of time, and what I sent back to her was a list of all of the things that I wanted to take off my plate. She looked at the list and then looked at me and said, this is your whole business. You don't want to be doing this anymore. And that took me aback. And instead of stepping into that uncertainty of thinking what what came next, I spent 2019 trying to figure out how to rediscover this joy in my business, how to find what I'd lost. And what I realized was that This was a business for a season. I'd been doing this for eight years. I was doing everything possible in my business to try and avoid what was inevitable. I was trying to protect myself from change because change is scary. And instead of embracing change and embracing the uncertainty that comes with change, I was trying to build a buffer around myself. And in doing that, I was drowning. After going through a roller coaster of all things in my business, I tried cutting back, I tried outsourcing, I tried so many different things to try and keep this thing going. It wasn't until the end of 2019 when I attended a conference and had a conversation with one person. We were actually sitting around at tables doing mini flash masterminds and I posed my dilemma, explained my situation, and the woman next to me looked at me and she said, you need a retirement date. And in an instant, my perspective shifted. My framing of the next step had been all wrong. My framing was that I was quitting something. And in reality, I wasn't quitting, I was moving on. And by setting a retirement date, that gave me the ability to say, it's time to move on. So I set my retirement date that week for March 31st, 2020 not knowing how much a blessing that was going to be down the road. In doing all of this, the uncertainty rose up in so many ways in making this change, in making this shift into what came next. I was walking away from a profitable business. I was earning six figures running my business. I felt like a failure because I couldn't get it to continue further. 
I had limiting beliefs upon limiting beliefs preventing me from taking that change that I wanted to take. For example, one of the biggest ones was, why do I get the luxury of making this shift when I have a profitable business? There are many, 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 many other people in this world who don't have that luxury. Why do I deserve it? And so all of these parts and pieces finally came together and I did as I set out to do and on March 31st said goodbye to selling physical products online and stepped into an abyss because I at that point didn't have a plan and I realized that I wasn't going to. The planner in me was trying to hold on for dear life to something that was planned that was figured out. But I knew that I, in my center, in my core, needed to move on. The planner in my brain said, oh, breaks on. And instead, over five months from November to March, I spent that time exiting myself from my business. And then trying to start the process of thinking of what came next. And initially I said, well, if I don't have it figured out, I can just keep doing this. And then I realized that that was me just trying to protect myself, trying to hold on to what I knew instead of stepping into the unknown. And on March 31st, I closed the doors on my old business and stepped into the uncertainty of what came next. I had ideas. I had 500 million ideas. My entrepreneurial brain couldn't stop throwing them at me, but I didn't have an exact understanding. The uncertainty of not knowing what came next was really challenging. But instead of sitting in that place of fear, I chose to step into the uncertainty so that I could find something better something that I was excited to do. And now three months later, I am walking in a business that I'm so excited to show up for every single day for myself and for my clients. What I love about Amy's story was that she put a little certainty into leaping into uncertainty. By giving herself a retirement date, she created a new piece of information she could use to make better decisions and take more decisive action. It didn't necessarily mitigate the risk or make the future any less hazy, but it did give her some clear constraints to work with so she could embrace uncertainty and meet the moment. All right, it's your turn now. What are you asking the proverbial magic eight ball right now? What about the future feels hazy and unclear? What action would you take if you knew the results? What risk would be worth the potential reward? The outlook is good that the near term will continue to surprise us in ways we can't yet imagine. You may rely on it. So what are you going to do despite the uncertainty? What courageous action are you going to take? I'd love to hear what you're wrestling with and how you're moving forward. Hit me up on Instagram. I'm at Tara McMullen or on Twitter, where I'm still at Tara Gentilly. Huge thanks to Podge Thomas from PodgeCoaches.com, Melissa Dinwiddie from CreativeSandbox.Solutions, Kat Liu from CozyCal.com, and Amy Fearman from WorkflowImpact.com. 
Next month, we're looking at how we create value and develop offers that solve problems and delight customers. You'll hear from Alicia Robertson from Low Collective, India Jackson from Flaunt Your Fire, and Michelle Marquette DeVoe from Faith Culture Kiss and the Speakeasy Collective. I'll also be sharing a special bonus series on how I develop new offers and evolve old ones into better ways of serving customers. Till then, keep doing what works. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our production assistant is Kristen Runvik with special help from Shannon Paris. Find over 280 more episodes of What Works and sign up for our free weekly newsletter on building a stronger business at explorewhatworks.com.